but being able to understand where is it that your company is at now? What's the opportunity? What's most important, right? If you're thinking through ruthless priorities of what's absolutely important for your business to be successful at this stage of growth. This is the podcast where we go around the globe to interview marketing leaders from the world's biggest brands, fastest growing companies, and most disruptive startups. Great ideas packaged a certain way want to spread. They want to be told to someone else. This is simple, surprising, and significant. Key to unlocking viral creativity is to make it rapidly scalable. This is Top CMO with me, Ben Kaplan. Today, I'm speaking with Esther Flammer, CMO of Reich the powerful work and task management platform that was acquired by Citrix for more than $2 billion back in January 2021. Esther has a strong marketing background, heading up marketing teams for a wide variety of SaaS or software as a service companies. That includes senior marketing positions at Conga, a revenue lifecycle management platform, Conversant, a provider of ethics and compliance software, and ReturnPath, a well-known email deliverability provider. So what's the difference between a brand-focused CMO or a customer-focused CMO and a CMO like Esther who is hunting down hockey stick growth curves? As Esther likes to say, it comes down to being ruthless. It's a great question. The way that I think through how do you scale at really high growth companies is probably a couple of different ways. One is you have to wear a lot of hats. Right. Um, in my mind, it's not necessarily specializing in, in just one thing. One part of marketing we know has uh, marketing has lots of different facets, but making sure that you kind of know enough of each of those parts of marketing, each of the functions of marketing and why they're important and what stage that they're important in. And so when you think about companies that scale, oftentimes it is very kind of product heavy at first of trying to get minimum viable product out there. So how do you make sure that you're positioning, positioning well, right? Then it goes into fast and hard uh, sales growth. You're just focused on revenue. So what are things that you can do to generate leads and pipeline? Then oftentimes it's building the foundations for customer retention, expansion, advocacy. And so making sure that you understand what part of your business, what phase that you're in, what's most important in terms of business objectives, and then laying foundations that can scale for each of those phases and areas of growth. I think also you just have to have a really kind of innovative, really great testing cadence, be really able to pivot very quickly be able to connect the dots, look at look at the market opportunity, look at historically where you've maybe been successful, look at areas where you can capitalize or gaps that you can fill. And then how do you quickly lay something down, a campaign, a target audience, a, a value proposition, a use case, and then be able to actually execute, see what happens, test and iterate and optimize, and then go, you know, move as quickly as you can. I think Commonly in high growth companies, it's you're building the plane while you fly it. That's something that uh, we always say because you're moving quickly. Nothing is ever going to be perfect. You're never going to have perfect data. You're never going to have full insight into everything. And so you just, you have to move quickly, um, but be able to build foundations that can scale while iterating um, at every point. And I've already even described one, one level more, which is not even just building the plane while you're flying it, but like building your parachute while you're skydiving. <laughs> so, <laughs> meaning there's gonna if you don't build fast enough, there's gonna be uh, a not yeah. a pleasant outcome right, as well. But, right. but, but I understand what you're saying, and, and it's interesting to think about 
a growth-oriented CMO in terms of these phases, and you articulated it well in terms of these phases where there's different parts in the life cycle of a company, where there's different things you're focused on, particularly if you're a company that raised funding and there's different things expected of you when you're at seed funding or series A or series B or series C. And as the company becomes from a product to a full company, what has to, in your experience, what has to change and evolve in a CMO to do that? Are CMOs that are good at one stage, they're good at a certain type of marketing, not good at another stage, much like it's a challenge for CEOs with startups where you have a Mark Zuckerberg who you know is at one stage of Facebook when Facebook's still a kind of a, a plucky startup and a totally different phase when you're a target and you're there for the whole ride. What about for the CMO and skills? Is it a challenge to be good at all of these phases in the same way? I think it can be, absolutely. But I think absolutely there's uh, ways for you to adapt right, and to grow. And again, I think if you have the core skill sets where you have rolled up your sleeves. I've been able to build out operational infrastructure for organizations at both small scale and then at large scale. I've been able to build out digital campaigns and demand gen strategies, again, for various businesses at various phases of growth. But being able to understand where is it that your company is at now? What's the opportunity? What's most important, right? If you're thinking through ruthless priorities of what's absolutely important for your business to be successful, at this stage of growth, are you focused on various, you know, like like I had mentioned earlier, right? Are you trying to differentiate your product? Are you trying to drive leads, pipeline revenue? Are you trying to focus on making sure that you're retaining customers and, and, and reducing churn? You know, there's, there's all sorts of components that you need to dig into in terms of overall business strategy. And then depending on your phase, right, being able to understand... Here's, here's what that looks like at a small scale. And then here's how we can scale. And like I said, there's a lot about the foundations that can scale and understanding that mentality of, hey, this is minimum viable product or we have very limited resources. How do we get something up quickly so that we can you know test and see if that works and then move forward in terms of that market? But then being able to rinse and repeat and create processes and create infrastructure that allows for you to move very quickly. And then if you have a team of 10 versus a team of 100, right, the same foundation and infrastructure um, and some of those concepts can prevail if you've laid those foundations in place first. Um, and then understanding, okay, now I have 100 people. Now I have 500 people. Now I have 1,000 people, right? It does take very different, I would say, different management styles where you're starting to get farther and farther away from maybe the details, but creating, again, the processes, the components where you can do the check-ins and understand we have the right strategy in place or we need to pivot in these certain ways. You're communicating that top-down vision of here's the market opportunity, here's how we're going after it. And then being able to do that either with a large size team or a small team, right? It, it is, it's, it's thinking through each situation a little bit differently, depending on kind of, again, what phase you're at, what type of company you're at, and what's most important for that company's growth. So Esther, how ruthless are you? <laughs> I'm saying that half jokingly, but you referenced ruthless priorities is what you said. And so that's actually what I mean. How ruthless are you? Because being a CMO is a big job. In some ways, you can make it as big as you want because if you're growth-oriented, any marketing channel that contributes to growth is fair game, right? It, it's a, you know, the, kind of the world's your oyster with that. So how do you focus? How, how do you ruthlessly prioritize? And what does that mean that's different than just 
okay, yeah, I've got some priorities. I have my quarterly objectives. What does it mean to be ruthless? Yeah, it's, it's a great question for marketers in general, because I think as marketers know, there is a never ending list <laughs> of things to do and things to fix. And everyone considers themselves a marketer. Everyone is sending you, hey, well, the, look at what the competitors do. You know, the website needs to change or you need better brand or the positioning, you know, and messaging isn't working. I mean, there is just a never ending list, no matter how much you fix and no matter how much, you know, you can be successful, there's always more. Um, and so oftentimes I've seen myself or my teams get stuck in this always saying yes, right? Or, or really kind of trying to figure out how do we determine what we should do and what we shouldn't do? Because there will always be more asks. Sales is always going to ask for more, more tools, more, you know, enablement components, better leads. You're going to have product that's coming to you around launches and differentiation and competitive analysis. You're going to have, you know, there's CEO coming down. So there's always more requests. For me, it is about actually looking at, there's only so much we can do, right, as an organization. And when I say ruthless priorities, it really is like, where will we, are, we as a business will fail if we do not do X, Y, and Z. And I always try and uh, bring it down to about three major initiatives, kind of like a three by five, right? Three major kind of big rocks that we need to, as a company, achieve um, and be able to move forward and then kind of, you know, five initiatives or five big components of that, that we can potentially actually move the needle on in order for us to move those, those big rocks. And so I really think through it in that way. And then, it, you know, even, and, and I've coached my teams on this as well, because even at an individual contributor level, oftentimes you feel overwhelmed with the amount of asks that are being put on you. And so again, it's a, hey, here's how much, here's what we're doing. If you want us to do, take on this fire drill or do, do you know, another uh, campaign or another initiative, what do we need to move off of these top priorities that we already have? What do we need to replace in order for us to do that? And then what will that actually do? What will the outcome be or the end result be for the for the business? So I think it is always asking yourselves that question and understanding what truly is a priority. What do we have to do in order for us to be successful as a business? And I do bring it down up to that level, which is not just me, myself personally, or my job or my team or even marketing itself, but how do we make the business successful and be able to answer those questions specifically. So to use our skydiving metaphor, if you're building the parachute while in the air, you've got to figure out the critical things you need to do before everything else. Do you start assembling the harness and the container? Or do you get to building the canopy, slider, and stabilizers? What parts of the parachute are absolutely critical and what parts can we afford to get wrong? Should you invest early on in a functioning altimeter so you can know how much time until you hit the ground? For marketing campaigns, I found that the most critical parts are usually having a solid process or a blueprint to execute all of the little details at the right moment in the right sequence. A standard operating procedure for the campaign that makes sure everyone on your team and your partner's team knows what they are supposed to be doing when. One more complication. Competitors might be trying to do the same thing. It's, it's marketing, right? And so we also, we also know that everything is changing very quickly, right? The way the competitors are also getting themselves out there, the way the market is changing, which means you have to be really agile. So you can't wait until everything is perfect 
can't wait until, you know, well, it's going to take us six months to build out kind of this full-fledged, perfectly built funnel with all of the life cycle components. And so it's like, okay, what can we do now? Let's absolutely keep that long-term vision in mind because again, foundations that can scale, which means you have to be thinking for the next year and beyond, which is, this is our end goal. We need to get to this place, right? With that infrastructure, with data management or with you know, leads and campaigns, et cetera. We need to make sure that we have that in mind. But what do we need to do right now? What can we get out the door right now and test and iterate and see if that works and then continue to add on to it? One of the things about growth marketing, and and tell me if you agree or not, but sort of the field of growth marketing, how it differs from just generally marketing. Let's say if if, if we weren't a high growth company, if we were the run-of-mill company, is that run-of-mill company, you generally have to be mostly correct. What I mean by that is you have an annual marketing budget. It's going to go on these channels. You're not, you're expected to like drive sort of everything you're spending should have a result that is worthwhile, that drives ROI. That's kind of general marketing. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, right? We want, we want to be successful. However, growth marketing tends to have this other flavor to it, which is we're going to try some experiments. We're going to try some things we've never done before and 19 of those 20 things we try may fail. We'll do it in a smart way. But that 20th thing, that's the game changer. That's just going to cause us to 10x up. And we're going to find it because we're willing to fail on some other things and kind of fail fast to get to the thing that matters. So agree or disagree that you have to be comfortable as a marketer and a growth marketer with some type of uncertainty, which might be some type of failure along the way. Agree, right? I think, like I said, there is always some level of failure when you're testing and iterating. But in my mind, to your point, it's not risking the business. You need to have the the infrastructure, that foundation that is solid, where you can prove out ROI, that you can make really clear business decisions based off of data, based off of performance, based off of you know, we've done an analysis of this market. Here's the target audience to go after. What we're going to test and iterate on is, uh, is it this messaging and value proposition or do we take maybe a different tactic? Or is there a better way that we can get in front of them, right? Or is there a better channel, right? You know, mix that we can potentially test. And so for me, it is not just, you know, flying fast and loose with your testing and just putting yourself out there in a number of different ways and then just seeing what sticks. That's that's not that's not at all. I think what I'm what I'm trying to say it's you have to have a clear process in terms of we've done the analysis, we understand our business, we understand where you know we've we've done research, we've done interviews, we've talked to our customers, we've talked to our prospects. We understand who it is that we're selling to and here's where we've seen the success with the customers that we have then start to look at, okay, how do we hone this to get incremental improvement across your channel mix, across your content, your messaging, you know, kind of your audience, do we go into a new market? There's all of those components that need to happen. But to me, it is, it's a path towards that success and not just go and put 20 things out there and see if it sticks and you're going to fail in, you know, 19 ways. It's, you know, make iterative, iterative improvements. Our name is an agency, which is which is top. Also, the name of the podcast, Top CMO, refers to the top, the, the, the best, of course, but it's actually an acronym, which stands for, I think, actually what you're describing, which is test, optimize, and perform. So start with testing things. Try to find smart ways to figure out how do we get our ladder up against the right wall. 
then optimize, make small incremental improvements. We can climb that ladder faster and then perform and then let's scale performance. Once we've tested, once we've optimized, now let's scale it. Now it's, you know, it's time to, to, to take over the market, the world, take it as far as we can go. So that's kind of the top process, test, optimize, perform. A simpler way, my simpler version of that that I like that we sometimes talk with our team and our clients is if it ain't broke, optimize it. We can always get better. We can always improve. And that's where some of the magic happens in marketing. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. That's a a good one. Um, Completely agree, right? Because if you stay stagnant, if you just stay with, well, this has worked. And so we're just going to assume this will always work, right? At some point, it won't because everyone around you will find a different way, right? Or things will change. The market will change. Buyer behavior will change. So you always have to be on your A-game. You always have to be looking at what's next. Let's delve a little bit more into specifically Reich. And for those who aren't familiar, I mean, Reich, it's project management software. You can manage a number of tasks, to-dos, to become more efficient, more effective in whatever you do. As a result, it's a platform, which means it can do a lot of things for a lot of different people, for a lot of different use cases. So back on the theme of ruthless priorities, when you have a product like Rike, how do you prioritize markets or customers or personas when you have a tool that can do a lot for a lot of folks, but in terms of your marketing, you can't boil the ocean? Absolutely. And again, this is what is typical with a high growth company is oftentimes there's so much opportunity, you don't know where to focus. Um, And that causes a lot of that high growth in the beginning phases and in the early phases. And you can kind of just stumble by a little bit by just capitalizing on all of that opportunity. But at some point, you do have to focus. And, And to me, it is, you know, with Reich specifically, we are very horizontal. And to your point, we sell to literally anyone. I mean, if you think about anyone who's working, they, they manage tasks, they manage work, they manage projects, programs, people. Um, and so there is a level of a need for our platform. What are some surprising customers? Are there any customers that were like, I don't know, the, the wide range of customers you have that, that are like, oh, wow, they're a, they're a project management user. Is it, it, where, what is the range of customers like? I mean, literally anyone. I mean, and that's that's the beauty of Reich is that we can play in every single industry. We're really industry agnostic. So healthcare, FinServe, like media, entertainment, marketing, uh, retail. I mean, literally, if you think about anyone who's on a team and who's trying to get something done, that's who we sell to. And that's who can utilize our product. And so, you know, we absolutely can can go wide. Um, and, and we have and we have 20,000 customers across literally every single industry and every single size of company. But again, we're at the place where we're thinking through our differentiation and our differentiation. And if you think about our market overall, it's, it's really saturated. There's a lot of competitors out there who do project management or work management or task management or even collaborative work. And so if you think about Reich and our specific differentiation, it really is the most powerful work management solution. We have built our platform for the last 16 years to help companies scale. And so, you know, when you think about what that looks like, uh, we're not just for a single team, a single use case, like one, one team of maybe five creatives that are trying to get campaigns out the door, which we absolutely can do. But really the beauty of the right platform is that we can go not only across a whole team, but also departmental wide, and then also across a full 
organization and enterprise organization um, wall to wall. Um, and we do have, you know, really amazing customers that utilize us in all of those different facets, all of those different use cases. For us, as we think through where do we focus and how do we go, you know, how do we actually create a go-to-market strategy where we can be really successful and really fuel that growth? And again, we're kind of where we start is really sometimes with that single team and we have pinpointed certain buying centers. So we're actually not industry focused, like I said, because we're really industry agnostic. So we actually focus on buying centers and departments. And so specific teams that have repeatable workflows that need to be automated, that have, you know, cross-functional alignment across various teams that need to kind of get together in a single platform and be able to produce work and improve productivity. And so that looks like marketing teams. For example, our own marketing team uses it. At my last company, I was actually a Rike user. I was a Rike customer. That's how I knew about Rike um, because we used it marketing-wide across digital, demand, operations, creative production, all of these teams working together, trying to build campaigns, trying to produce events, trying to push um, programs at the door. We really needed a platform that could allow for us to be able to scale effectively so that we could get alignment, so that we could prioritize resources, so that we could prioritize campaign management and, and be able to actually generate, generate those campaigns and programs that would drive revenue for the business. What are the marketing strategies for going enterprise-wide? Let's say that you're in a company, you've signed up there, you mentioned marketing, buying centers of marketing, IT, or if they have a formal pro- project management division, you sign them up. They're happy. They're customers. They're like, yay, Reich. But then, you know, that's a hundred people and that company has a thousand people. How do you go after the other 900 people? What are the strategies from that as a, from a marketing perspective? Some of the beauty of, of Reich as well is that uh, our customers love us and there's such stickiness with our product where they do see immediate value. You know, once they've implemented it, once they've started to roll this out across the organization, they see so much value in terms of the improvement to productivity, the levels of collaboration and alignment across an organization that oftentimes, right, they will come to us asking, hey, we need we need some additional usage or hey, you know, marketing, we work with sales or we we work with product on product releases and we have a product launch that's happening or we have different field events um, and we need our salespeople to actually be involved so that they can um, help us, right, as we as we start to manage these events in their territories. And so oftentimes that is customer led and largely because we have such great customers and we have such stickiness in our product where they see the value that we're able to go enterprise wide. In terms of marketing specifically and how we can also build out different plays to be able to expand enterprise-wide, we have to align with sales. We have to align with product. We have to align with customer success. And this is, you know, some of that beauty of that intersect between all of these departments working together and really focusing on, you know, areas of um, kind of the customer database figuring out, you know, where are their specific segments of the customers where we think it's a perfect a perfect area for us to either go in and, and potentially start to go broader and expand those use cases out across that organization. Uh, maybe they're showing some, some predictability within just their usage um, where they've maxed out their licenses, they're utilizing it, there's huge product adoption. And we are seeing that there's another department that works very closely with that team that we can then expand into or other indicators, right? Of we believe that they would actually uh, benefit from some more of the premium features. So it's absolutely 
a cross-functional kind of uh, alignment that needs to happen between marketing, sales, CS, and making sure that we have plays, the enablement, you know, the decks, the use cases, the demos, all of those components in play so that we can be able to basically give give our frontline teams the tools that they need to have the right conversations with those customers. At the same time, marketing can provide air cover through advertising, digital, email, events, all of those components to make sure that, again, we're, we're providing the same kind of narrative and messaging that maybe their sales rep or their AM is also uh, working with them on. So to me, it is absolutely kind of a multi-touch, fully integrated type of approach. So how should you upsell and cross-sell once your product or service has been adopted? The key is to find anything that is distinct from your current offering that enhances your current offering and yet has value on its own. At Top, we got our start in 2012 as the world's most data-driven PR agency. But we quickly discovered that our clients needed more than just a pulse data survey to generate PR and thought leadership. They needed full market research capabilities and plenty of white papers and reports, which became our very next offering. And once you had those pillar data reports, you could generate hundreds of inbound links at scale, which is great for SEO. Incidentally, our third offering, we became a full-service data-driven marketing agency simply by adding capabilities that made our existing offerings more valuable. I'd love to see Reich become the voice of getting things done and the future of work, perhaps with four quarterly data reports, one on task efficiency, one on task effectiveness, another on how team members collaborate, and a final on what to do about incomplete or unfinished tasks. The key would be to base each report in part on internal platform data, but then augment it with a survey of knowledge workers, plus link each report to a different pillar of Reich's core messaging. So here's a question for Esther. Had this key messaging changed before, during, or after the pandemic? Macroeconomic, you know, trends, changes, 100% impact buying behavior and impact the way that you need to, again, as a marketer, be able to position your company um, or your solution. And with the pandemic, I think this was something that I think all marketers kind of had to, and actually all businesses across the world had to pivot very, very quickly without a lot of planning, where all of a sudden we became 100% remote. And there was a leg up in certain industries, absolutely, where people were already very much working remotely, or at least a hybrid. But for, for many companies out there, there was a very quick pivot. And I would say Reich is uniquely positioned um, and was uniquely positioned in that actual time period, because we're a perfect platform for remote and for hybrid which was kind of the next trend, which was first 100% remote, then going to hybrid. Because again, all of a sudden, people had to start to figure out a, a new structure where everyone was working from home. Be it, How are we able to create the same level of output that we had before when everyone was maybe in person or in an office? And so absolutely, that increased in terms of the number of apps and the number of you know collaborative platforms that everyone started to invest in. But then we started to see a different trend beyond that which was almost too much, right? Uh, too much collaboration that was happening when you have then a hybrid work environment where you have some people who are in person, some people are who are fully remote and then having to work together across platforms. And we saw a huge spike in just the amount of tools that people had to navigate 
you saw the burnout and the fatigue, right, of, of the Zoom fatigue of being on video calls every single day, all day, every day. You know, some of the issue with not being able to just sit in a room and brainstorm or just even have that human element of getting to know your, your colleagues and then be able to see some of the bursts of productivity that you see in some of those hallway conversations or just, you know, brainstorming conversations because everything was reduced to, to Zoom. And so you just see a lot of that complexity that's happening in a very short amount of time and people having to navigate all of that complexity when it came to work. And what we actually saw in terms of some of those macro trends is obviously growth projections during the pandemic, they're kind of up and down. Uh, There were certain industries that absolutely grew, certain industries that pulled back. But what you did see was overall productivity actually went down. And we have, you know, we we've done a ton of research on this, on kind of what has happened over the last few years that has caused productivity to go down. Meanwhile, what we're seeing is working working hours actually went up, and so people are working more. They're working longer hours. There's a harder time to be able to kind of put a boundary between work and home life because you're basically working from home. But productivity has decreased significantly, and then you know that has led to. A lot of the conversations that we've heard around employee engagement, some of the disconnect that people are feeling because they've never met their colleagues in person. And then, you know, the great resignation, which we went through last year, where we saw a huge amount of people switching jobs and moving into new companies, which then you're onboarding people again, remotely, new teams, never having worked together. And then now we're facing kind of the next trend, which is a slowdown, which is everyone pulling back, growth decreasing even more, potentially going into a recession. We're seeing layoffs, we're seeing budget cuts, we're seeing a lot of those components. And so you're coupling all of this complexity of work with employee burnout of having to do more with less and then going into a new year and having to navigate again, how has that even shifted buying behavior? How has that shifted how companies um, and teams work together? And so right, absolutely to your question, right? We've had to pivot in terms of our messaging um, at every single stage. And again, the good news is that we've been doing a lot of research. We've really figured, you know, we're really passionate about figuring out work complexity and simplifying it for teams. And so then we've been focused on how do we position that for each of those trends. And so with the pandemic, 100% remote, it was maintain that productivity regardless of where you are. Same with hybrid, very similarly, even even more so in, in some ways, it's even more complex because you have some teams in person, some teams that, um, that aren't. And then now that we're dealing with you know, this overarching pressure of do more with less and budget cuts, you know, what does that look like? So you absolutely have to maximize every single resource that you have, you have to understand how to prioritize and how to align. And so that's some of the shifts in messaging that Reich has, has had to go through. And and maybe a highly valued yet slightly underrated skill in times of great change is being able to simplify things. When there's a lot of moving pieces, when there's a lot going on, when tomorrow could be different than today, the ability to simplify has great value. So I, I wanna end on um, Esther. A lightning round is something that we often do on the podcast, just kind of quick questions, quick responses. But I actually wanna do it a little bit differently for you because I wanna do a ruthless lightning round. And I'm going to ask you some questions and, and, and sort of tongue-in-cheek use of ruthless because I, I, I like your use of the term. First question is, as a ruthless CMO, 
how do you prioritize your personal time? I mean, and, and personal time, I mean like your, your, your actual work time for yourself in the context of the company. You know, you've got to inspire a team. You've got to be a sounding board for key leaders. You've got to develop marketing plans. You actually have to maybe review things. How do you figure out what to do? How are you ruthless with your time? I specifically make sure that I'm carving out time to be able to connect the dots and be able to communicate the vision appropriately. So condensing all of the things that are happening and being able to very quickly make quick decisions on this, this aligns to our ruthless priorities and our core objectives, or this doesn't. This is the right decision, right? Or we're going to have to give this up in order for us to be able to prioritize something else. What is your advice to a future ruthless CMO who's not a CMO yet? They're coming up in terms of their future career, how to be ruthless in the decisions they make to get to where they're going a little bit faster, have the right experiences to do well when they get that new role or that promotion, that position. What is your, what is your, you know, the next generation of ruthless CMOs, what is your advice to them? So one is really figure out what is most important for the business and connect everything that you do to that business strategy. The second is be able to say no, right? And understand that at some point, you know, you are going to probably make, make, people upset by saying no to certain things, but being able to hold your ground and being able to provide the business case and reason on on why you're saying no and what you're going to do for them kind of in replacement of of what they've asked and being able to do that politely and respectfully uh, and be able to maintain uh, kind of partnerships and relationships through works. You have the back, but you have a kind of an iron fist, but you put that iron fist in a velvet glove. (laughs) If we're in a period of downturn, budgets are being cut. How are you ruthless about your budget? What do you cut? What do you absolutely don't cut? What do you even expand and invest? We had a lot of CMOs that were investing in things as we were going into the pandemic because they saw opportunity. How are you ruthless with your budget? For me, and and I tell my team this, it's about ROI, right? Um, and, and that's the magic word that I know everyone everyone puts out there. But for me, it's, you know, we have to absolutely be generating revenue for the business through trials, through leads, through demo requests. What are the most important channels that drive that for things that, you know, we believe work and that are important for us to do in terms of awareness, in terms of getting in front of the right buyers? For me, it's about cut that down to the bare minimum. Show me, you know, that you can build a strategy that can work. Again, that test, optimize, iterate, and and pivot, right? It's rather than spending 100000 spend 20000 Do a pilot, showcase that it works, test and improve, and then we'll give you more type of thing, right? So kind of, it's almost a bottoms up approach of prove that you can do right by the money that we give you, showcase that you can produce results, and then we'll, we'll invest more. And then finally, as you look forward to the future of Rike, what's something now that you hope or wish Rike could do, a market Rike could go into, something else that that would be great for Rike to accomplish that you aren't doing now that is aspirational for you? What is kind of like the sort of the ruthless aspiration of of where you think, you know, Rike and its marketing can head? 
a good question. So I guess as I think through the future of Reich, there's so much more that can happen from a work management standpoint. And we've already invested a lot in AI to be able to predict, right? So based off of various tasks um, and various workflows that you've done, here's kind of the next thing uh, to get even greater productivity. For us, it's more so around workflow automation of how do we utilize that data to provide insights into better managing work? And then how do we automate that? Right. That to me is a huge component of our kind of the future of Reich and product roadmap and where we're focused on next. And to me, that brings so much more value to literally every single business and every single industry out there that can actually start to really see those phenomenal growth patterns in terms of productivity and in terms of better resource management. So I guess that's kind of where I see the future of Reich and kind of the next kind of land for us to go into. And and it's actually even a a different category, right? That, That allows for us to start to march into new territory there. Esther Flammer is a ruthless CMO. In the best sense of the term. She's hyper-focused on finding the bottom line priorities within a company and honing in on ways to optimize and scale. Esther says if you are looking to grow rapidly, remember to prioritize your top three goals, then lay out five steps to achieve each one. That's a three by five matrix to me. But then you've gotta be utterly ruthless when deciding what those priorities are. Also, be able to say no and stand your ground. Be ready to provide your case as to why you have made that decision. You have to be ruthless, but play nice too. For Esther, it's all about making return on investment for the customer intersect with return on investment for the company. As a CMO, you need to figure out how this mental Venn diagram works in your sector and then ruthlessly connect the dots with everything that you do. So do you have what it takes to be a ruthless CMO? Esther says yes, and I do too. For Top CMO, I'm Ben Kaplan.